Hi, Techie Joe here. I work with Ace and Knight and some of the best psychics in West Virginia to create amazing live streams and podcasts for the Psychic Coffee Shop Network. Together, we brew up great content discussing news, events, hot topics, and more, all from a psychic perspective. On the Psychic Coffee Shop, we interview amazing authors in the metaphysical realm. Coffee and Tea combines Asen with Tracy, Dottie, Natalie, or Lady Gwendolyn for the good and the bad of being a psychic. Shameless self-promotion with Dottie the Psychic talks to leading and emerging YouTubers and business owners in our community. Mountain Bears brings you the latest in LGBT news and politics. The Psychic That Plans answers the question of, well, how a psychic plans. Plus, we're live on air. We take your comments and your questions, including psychic advice questions. Check out our amazing programming, book an appointment with top psychics, and find out all the wonderful things we have to offer at PCSBnetwork.com today. You're listening to the Esoteric News Briefs, your source for the paranormal, the mysterious, and the strange. This is Postscript Editing Jason, and I need to post a content warning for this episode. There is a brief mention of some rather horrific animal cruelty. It's brief, and not too graphic, but unpleasant nonetheless. Welcome back, goblins! I'm your host, Jason, and you're listening to the Esoteric News Briefs. Tonight, I'll be interviewing the author of the Haunted Hills and Hollows series, Kevin Paul. I met Kevin a little over a year ago at the Case Paranormal Expo in West Virginia. I spoke with him after his presentation, and he gave me an autographed copy of his book to read for the Esoteric Book Club. He also got my contact info and sent me a copy of his second book on its release. I reviewed both of them on a previous episode, which I will link in the show notes below. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Hi, Jason. How are you? Thanks for having me. Glad to have you. Your episode is in the top 10 of all my episodes globally. Oh. And it has been there since its release. Now, to give you an idea of what that means, you were up there with the likes of John Keel and Jacques Vallée. Oh my. So you're in good company. No pressure, no pressure. No, not at all. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate that. That's um, kind of humbling, actually. Well, it's well-deserved, too. Uh, like I said on the, on the review, it, your books are excellent. You're an excellent researcher and writer. Your writing is very engaging, which is not something you get too often with paranormal books. Yeah, it, it's kind of a two-edged sword. Some people that prefer uh, flash and glamour have lambasted me a little bit, but by far the majority of appreciate the, the style. I'd I'd rather go into the detail in the background, and uh, other than the uh, oh look, I got my uh, meter to flash, you know that kind of stuff. Oh, for sure, you definitely have to have some degree of history before you go in there, and just like you said set up an electronic device, and watch for the light to flash. Right. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm uh, born and raised in Greene County, PA, which is the uh, southwestern corner of the state, just north of you in Morgantown. I kind of grew up in a bubble. I didn't realize it at the time. My uh, grandparents had a lot of influence on me as a child. My mother had gone to work as a school teacher when I was five, so my grandparents are about 300 feet feet up the road or so. 
So I spent a lot of time with them and didn't realize that I had picked up a lot of Appalachian folklore as a child. And up until I was in uh, elementary school, my grandfather, uh, he worked off farm, but he, he farmed not quite 300 acres when I was a kid. So he's still doing it mostly with horses. So it was, this was the early 60s and there weren't too many people that were non-Amish in our area that were still messing with horses. Within an easy walk of, of my childhood home, there were at least seven log homes that had been there for quite a number of time. There were still some split rail fences. So it's stuff you grow up and you take for granted. But then you realize that looking back as an adult, what a kind of a unique experience it was because, you know, the world had, had uh, sort of passed that lifestyle by, unfortunately. And I've kind of kept it with me. Um, I uh, went to school in Morgantown at WVU, started off as a business major and switched to agriculture. And I've been involved in agricultural pursuits ever since, either as um, I, I, I did farm for a number of years, but I stopped that in uh, 2010, I believe. I keep, I keep involved in the ag community. Um, I've worked for more years than I care to admit doing soil and water conservation work in uh, Pennsylvania and in the Northern Panhandle, West Virginia, with a fairly well-known uh, government agency. Currently, I'm just I'm semi-retired and, and uh, sort of enjoying life, exploring urban agriculture and uh, still investigating paranormal things. Now, last time we spoke, you mentioned that your job is actually what takes you into some of these remote areas where you have encounters and you're able to speak to people who otherwise you wouldn't have interaction with. Yeah, that's correct. I work for a branch of, the, of, the, of USDA, it's the Natural Resources Conservation Service. I believe it's the nation's oldest government conservation agency, so we're, we're fairly well known when we cost-share uh, conservation practices on farms of just about any size. So you get out in the uh, sort of the nooks and crannies of when I, my first several years was southwestern Pennsylvania, and then the last four has been the northern panhandle of West Virginia. And, uh, you know, the farm community is like any other small community. People won't say much till they gauge whether or not you're uh, credible or whether or not you're going to ridicule them. And you, you can hear some pretty interesting stories. And then just run on the stuff on your own, you know, just textbook, quote unquote, paranormal experiences where you're walking through the woods and all of a sudden everything's dead silent and feel like you're being watched and um, that sort of thing. So it's, and again, growing up the way I did it, it, I didn't realize at the time, I thought that kind of stuff happened to everybody, but I found af afterwards that it, while it may happen to more people than want to admit it, most people won't talk about it. So it's, it's been a blessing. I've been out and get some really, really good and interesting reports that way. Now, I can delete this if you choose to, but after hearing your background, was that your story in the first book about the Bigfoot? <laughs> in, the, in the first book, Art Huck and Fred that saw the rectangular UFO, that's me. Okay, okay. The guy, the guy, the guy that had all the stuff happen at the farm, the chapter's called Angry Spirits of the Land. That that was mostly me. That was the stuff that came home to our house. It was just a wild ride. At the time the book was written, our youngest daughter was in high school. So I was using synonyms just sort of to kind of have her back a little bit. 
And there's some other family members in there too that I won't, that I won't get into, but a lot, a lot of it is me. Yeah. I mean, we can explore that if you want to. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm to the place where I, you know, I'm 66 and I'm, I never did care too much what people thought. It's getting worse. <laughs> so was there anything to the stories that didn't quite make it into the book that you would like to expand upon? I'll have to think for a minute. There was stuff that happened at the farm. Like, for example, uh, and you see these guys out on Chestnut Ridge now on YouTube. And I, I mean, you read the chapter on the Morgan, so you sort of know where I'm coming from on paranormal entertainment because a lot of it's just horse manure, I think. But, you know, it's not about the phenomena. It's about the guy in front of the camera, and it should be the other way around. That's just my opinion. Right. Okay, there's there's almost nothing in the Skinwalker, the first Skinwalker book and the stuff they're talking about on the Skinwalker Ranch that, that I people haven't seen here. We saw it out at the farm, still seeing it now. None of this is new. And I and I have I kind of have trouble wrapping my hand around head around why all of a sudden it's newsworthy when it's not. But I, Rosemary kind of put me on a lot of this stuff. I just, she taught me a lot, but basically she would um, kind of point you in a, in a direction and, and let you, her thing was find your own niche. And, and I, I guess my niche is this stuff's all real and none of it is new. So why are we trying to explain stuff that, you know, you pick the ancient relief, belief system and it's explained it. So why are we, you know, why do we have to hang scientific tags on stuff? So I, I, however you want to go with this is okay with me. I'm, you mentioned Rosemary, and that is Rosemary Ellen Guiley, correct? Correct. Now, how did you end up working with her? I was involved at that, um, that farm that's in the, the chapter called Angry Spirits in the Land. And I'd seen stuff all my life, but I started seeing stuff that was just like weird. And it wasn't like shadow people or apparitions. It was objects being moved, you know, thumps and bangs. You would, uh, well, there's one time we were going to kill some chickens and knives appeared that hadn't been there and just like really out there kind of stuff. And there's the incident that's in the first book about the cat that I found gutted in the house, but there was, and, and it was never unlocked. I mean, nobody broke into the house. But the cat had been gutted, no blood. And that I found kind of disturbing. And so I was, uh, I worked in, in Delslow outside of Morgantown at, at, at that point. And my supervisor's position was you could listen to whatever you wanted to in your workspace on a computer as long as you got your work done. You could watch anything and have anything on, get your work done. And I started listening to Coast to Coast. And uh, she was on one night with George Norrie, and I sent her an email. And I've said this a thousand times. I never, ever, ever expected to hear from her. And about, oh, it was a short amount of time, I was contacted by a group in Pittsburgh that essentially were friends of hers. It was a paranormal group, and they came down to see if I was a kook. And um, <laughs> I mean, that's my words. <laughs> so we, we went out to the farm. And I thought, well, you know, I don't know these people and I'm probably never going to see them again. So I was just telling them everything. And the next thing you know, I got an email from Rosemary and she started coming to Greene County. Uh, there's work that she and I did that have been 
two of her gin books, The Vengeful Gin and, um, oh my gosh, what was the first one? Uh, the Gin Connection. Uh, the farms in both of them, I have a, you know, as things went, progressed there at the farm and, and I had never heard of gin and I, you know, this was all new to me and I was having trouble having been raised traditional Protestant Christianity, wrapping my head around all this stuff. And, and it, it took me a while when the, uh, when the gin connection came out, she gave me a copy and she signed it to Kevin, you know, who they are with an exclamation point. And up until, and that's been several years, and up until this past year, I was afraid to read the book. That's how bad the stuff was. So I read the book um, this past spring, and I was, it's just like, oh, dear Lord, I know exactly. I mean, I've, I've seen all this. I know exactly what she's talking about. And, it, you know, the one of the other things you'd mentioned about talking about the Fae, I never gave the Fae much consideration other than it was folklore until you start reading what the Muslims have written and, and how it, they, the two parallel each other. And then you kind of look at it a little differently, like, well, this isn't something that you just say, oh, that isn't that nice, that's cute. I mean, let's pat it on the head, you know. You got to treat them. I just look at them as, uh, as other life forms. You know, everybody's fallen over themselves to hunt for the aliens, or the aliens are here. They're just from the, from the spirit world. Now, granted, there's extraterrestrials, but most of this stuff's terrestrial, I think. That's pretty much how I see it, too. And especially how you bring that parallel between the Jinn and the Fae together. Yeah. It seems to me more like it's just a regional variant of the same entity. Exactly. Uh, Fae are anglicized Jinn, is the way I look at it. And I, and I get... People don't want to talk about jinn because they're Muslim. And then, you know, this is something else I never thought I would start saying. And you'd start pointing out to people, well, you know, you're a little bit racist in that, you know, just because, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, this nation was founded on freedom of religion. So therefore, if someone wants to be a Muslim, they can be a Muslim or they can be a witch or they can be a pagan or they can be whatever they want to be. You have no right to dictate what somebody's allowed to do worship rise. You don't have to agree with it, but you don't have to be nasty either. So that's been, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm trying to, I'm trying to make the, I'm trying to tie gin and fallen angels together. And I, I it's been a struggle because the, the, the gin stuff I've read is easier to understand than the Christian stuff. Even though I, even though I can't pronounce the names, it's easier to understand. <laughs> Well, it's like reading um, Celtic stuff. You know, I, I would love to read Irish folklore, but I, I, I can't pronounce the stuff and I get lost. I'm the same way with Welsh. Oh, I can believe it. So you mentioned the Fae earlier. Would you like to tell everyone the story about how you contacted me recently about that? It's been about a, about a year ago. There's a, a small holly tree um, that had had um, some white solar lights in it trim the tree and um, cut the cord on it because um, I, I waited too long before I trimmed it. So I was trying to decide what colored lights to put back in it. And I, I had gotten white lights and it was getting, it was about this time of year is coming up on, on uh, Christmas time. And I thought, well, maybe I should put some other color lights in it. I wonder what color I should use. And I heard plain as day, we'd like red lights. I mean, just plain as day. I thought, well, okay. So I bought a string of uh, red solar lights on Amazon 
that was sort of it for the time being. Now it, it came time to trim the tree again. And of course, you know, cut the cord again, but I had, uh, I don't think I told you this. I'd planted some um, wildflowers and I'm, I'm slowly transitioning from cutting the grass to, you know, my, my tillage project is my yard now. <laughs> and um, so I'm less and less grass every year and more and more other stuff. And I'd been planting for a couple of years little bit of stuff for pollinators and it oh it was late summer and i was back there pulling crabgrass out of the pollinator plants and i i swear what actually looked like a textbook example of fay like flew back into the thicket and i thought and i thought well that's either you know my eyes are playing tricks on me or that's the real thing and um it's just one of those things that whenever I was around here, I felt like there was something there. So it got to the point where I'd had a birdhouse in the back of the yard on a fence post. And uh, the birdhouse had, weather had gotten to it. So I replaced it. I decided I was going to replace it with a fairy house or right, a gentry house, I prefer to call it. Found one on auction that was it was made out of cedar and it, it, it had absolutely no function as a, as a birdhouse, but it was decorative, but it would have made a great gentry house so i mounted it to the top of the post and it was it was within a week i uh when i contacted you i, I have an outbuilding i also collect small engines antique lawn and garden stuff so up the building where i have my stuff i was going out there one evening and i don't remember what forward i had a flashlight and i was trying to get the door unlocked and something flew about waist high it was about the size of a soccer ball and gray couldn't quite see through it and it flew around my right side, right directly in front of me. And then just kind of like, poof, what's going on? And I thought, okay, that's when I reached, reached out to you because something was telling me you were the one I needed to ask. So <laughs> I asked you, and then you mentioned, uh, get some soda bread and um, some cream. So I looked um, several places for soda bread locally, including in Morgantown. And every place I found it, it had yeast in it. So I reached out to a daughter of a friend of the family who's 15 years old and is starting a uh, bakery business. She's a culinary arts student and she bakes, she's quite a baker. And I sent her a message and I said, can you make me some soda bread? It absolutely positively cannot have yeast in it. So I picked the loaf up yesterday. She made two loaves. Her father told me it was quite delicious. So I brought this stuff home and I can smell it. And I thought, okay, I can't eat this. I have to cut this up and save it to take out for the, for the Fae as, uh, you know, try to keep peace in the family. That's where we're at right now. Yeah. You'll have to keep me informed on how that goes. Yeah. I don't, I'm kind of been dragging my feet cause I wanted to make, sh I wanted to keep it local if I could. And I wanted to make sure there's no yeast. And I've kind of got this thing where, you know, you get the, like the single serving creamer cups on and make sure what I had was like dairy instead of all non-dairy. So I've got that lined up. I'm going to start Monday. Okay. So if you, if you leave it out every Monday, then Mon I'm, Monday's always a good day for me. Okay. That works. I'll probably leave it in the front and the back because in the front, the dogs also go underneath that holly bush and I figure they'll scarf up whatever's under there, but I'll leave it out in the back too by the, by the gentry house. Yeah, and from what I understand, it's it's not necessarily a set day that you have to do this on. It's just that you're consistent. Yeah, right. 
Yeah, I, I picked Mondays because um, I'm home on Mondays. Okay, that makes sense. So, and I, uh, one thing I left out, I had started to put bling on that gentry house the day that they showed up. And this is another thing. I'm not sure where this came from. I'd seen them painted brightly and with, if you've been, ever been on the ferry trail at uh, oh, yeah. Mason Dixon Park. Yeah. Well, you know how the kids did all those ones with little mirrors and stuff. Well, the first 10 years of my life when I was out of college, I worked in the automotive aftermarket and I thought, well, car stuff's blingy. <laughs> so I was, I, and I was started buying reflectors and stuff and reflective tape is what I started putting on it. The first time I, well, I had that encounter there by the, about by the building was, was at the same time I had started to bling up the gentry house. So now what you saw, you specifically said it was a traditional uh, gentry, but would this be like a, a, a diminutive figure with wings, something more like a pixie? The one I saw going into the flowers looked like a diminutive figure with wings. This other one was out of focus. Okay. Okay. Now, did you have any instances of items going missing leading up to this? Nothing that rings a bell. There's a long history of stuff. I'm sort of notorious for putting stuff down and forgetting where it is. So I, after you'd mentioned that the first time, I thought, well, I don't have to pay attention. So nothing that I nothing that jumps out at me right at the moment, no. Well, I mean that's good news. It means you haven't upset them. Yeah, yeah. I don't know much about them, but I know enough. I don't want to annoy them. So you mentioned that you started this back when you were a child, really having paranormal encounters. Yeah, the first one when I was about five years old. It's actually in the book that Art Huck was actually me. I had an, saw a um, figure of light in the bedroom when I was probably five years old. And, and um, I mean, it just looked like, like the parallel opposite of a, or a mirror, you know, uh, I guess you'd call it a parallel opposite of a shadow person. It looked like a shadow person like it was made out of light. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. And of course, you know, I, I kind of scared the crap out of me. And I went with my mother and dad and they assured me I was just dreaming. And then, you know, I would tell that kind of stuff to my grandmother and, and that wasn't the feedback I got from her. I, it was like, oh, really? Well, that's, maybe you actually didn't see that, you know, that kind of stuff. And, um, and I've seen shadows off and on. saw a lot of stuff through high school. And then it kind of went away when I was in college, probably because I was into more worldly pursuits at the time. Kind of came back when I hit middle age. Hmm. So of all the stories that you have collected or even encountered yourself, which one is your favorite? I'd have to say the Morgan. A lot of this stuff, when it happens, you know, it, it kind of you kind of question your worldview. Not so much anymore, but you know, when this stuff first happens, and and you have to try to decide whether or not you've, you know, whether you need some kind of help or, or whether you've actually seen this stuff. Um, the Morgan was, I guess, probably the most profound because it took it was like a two year process leading up to the actual encounter. It's the sort of thing that once it happens, again, you know, being familiar with folklore and, and, and reading signs when you do stuff, you know, when you grow up around a farm where everything's done by the sign. And I had become convinced quite a while ago that a lot of this stuff that's communicated from the spirit world, we think we know what they're telling us, but a lot of it's, it's, it's actually, it's metaphors. For example, uh, a lot of people, it's a common belief that the batteries go dead on, on devices because spirits need the energy to manifest. And I, 
you know, and I, I don't think that's the case. I think the batteries go dead because the gadgets annoy them. <laughs> um, because it's, you know, the, uh, I, I think it's incompatible uh, electromagnetic energy. So it'd be sort of like, you know, having a bug crawl on your skin. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, you know, when there's, there's plenty of other electrical sources that are far greater than double A AA, triple A batteries in an EMF meter, I would think they would go after that. So there's a lot of metaphors and dreams that led up to seeing the Morgan. And then when I finally encountered her, like in real time, it uh, really got my attention, kind of blew me away there for a little bit. I've had a couple others since then that, that uh, they're like time slips, but she would have, I'd have to say she was kind of a game changer because I started speaking out about stuff that annoyed me. Maybe that's not, maybe that's, that I think's in the wrong in the paranormal community that, that that's actually just exploitation. Did that make any sense? Oh yeah, yeah, that absolutely makes sense. I was actually thinking maybe we should summarize the encounter for people who may not have read the book yet. Okay, I had had a, I'd had a series of dreams over a couple of years and they all had a similar theme. I, again, like I said, I, I work in soil and water conservation. So these dreams would have that kind of sitting. They, they were always rural. They're uh, generally out in the middle of nowhere, which is where we work. And generally alone, which is how we work. The one that, that um, it started off, I would see, I thought they were aliens at first. They all looked like, I'll show my age here. They'd say they all look like hippie women from the Vietnam War era. Okay. Okay. So they all look like hippies. So like fringed tops, like leather almost. Um, long hair, not necessarily neatly brushed. A lot of gauzy tops, off-whites, um, ragged clothes, not necessarily leather fringe. They just look like hippies. Okay. And... Um, I I saw one um, several times. She's slender, kind of shaggy looking, not real, not real clean. So I was I was at work and had to do a a site visit. So I go out to this location and uh, and this is in real time. And and the the landowner said I'd like you to meet my uh, hired help. And she brings this woman in, and here's this hippie chick from these dreams. And it kind of floored me. So we talked for a little bit and I left. At that point, I'd been having these dreams that were all involved around you know, something to do with, with soil and water conservation and a lot of geometric, a lot of sacred geometry and then this, this hippie hmm. person. Well, at that point, they changed. The, the person changed to this sort of Celtic looking uh, just by the clothes. It was like ancient Irish. I can say that now in hindsight. Uh, a lot of clothing that, that laced up, darker colors, you know, billowy sleeves. Her hair is a different color. And, and, she, and this woman wasn't, wasn't obese or anything, but she was definitely um, not skinny like the, the hippie girl had been. So she started appearing in, in these dreams. And the, and the one that was really, really got my attention, I was, it started off, I was driving down a road that I'd actually, I've actually been on. It, it's out in the middle of nowhere. It's one of those roads has the signs that says they don't maintain it in the winter. So I'm going up, going up this road in the dream. I see this stream that's in a perfectly straight line, which is absolutely, you know, it's absolutely unnatural. Streams don't do that. So it caught my attention and I stopped to get out. I realized there was a, 
a humongous rectangular piece of sandstone, just perfectly rectangular, sitting on the ground. And while I was interested in looking at this, this perfectly straight stream, I had to walk around this gargantuan piece of rock, this giant stone block to get to it. So I touched my hand on the rock to keep my balance and I was sort of instantly transported to the top of the rock. It was the same scene, had the stream, the, the, the vehicle was there, but I was on top of this rock and, and here was this Celtic looking woman with auburn colored hair, handed me a, um, like a package, like a gift. And it had some kind of markings all over it in gold. And I opened it up. I don't think I go into this in the book, but what it actually was, it was the wedding invitation. Hmm. And it was an invitation to a wedding and I was supposed to marry her. And I was like, in the dream, I was like, no, no, you don't understand. I, you know, I, I don't know you and I'm already married. And she's saying, and this was all done tele through telepathy. And she's saying, well, you, you, you know, you're taking this out of context. But she said, told me that she and the others had gone on ahead and I was to catch up with them. So she disappears and I open this thing. And it's full of like really mundane photographs, like, but it's all like masculine and feminine themes. Hmm. So I woke up, thought that was, you know, wrote it down in my journal. A short time later, um, I had a dream where um, my wife and I were preparing to retire for the evening. And uh, I was already in bed and we were, the bedroom door was open and she was in the bathroom. We're having this conversation and I had my back to the door and she comes in and gets in bed and I turn over to say something to her. And here's this woman with the auburn colored hair from the dream that's in the bed. And I jumped up and I said, you know, who are you? What are you doing? You know, I'm, I'm married. You've got no business being here. And her reply was that she wanted to see me in her, in her natural state that she'd been with me longer than anyone. And then I woke up and I, that one kind of disturbed me because when I woke up, my wife at that time was working midnight shift. And when I woke up, I actually thought there was somebody in the house had broken in. And, and I realized that both dogs were slumbering away and there's nobody at the house. And it was a short time later, I was uh, at work and I was out on a project. Started walking down this uh, abandoned road because I'd heard that there was a, a house at the end of this long drive. And I wanted to see what it looked like. So I walked down this road and um, heard the textbook footsteps in the leaves beside me. And, and I, I, started, I was getting pelted with acorns. <laughs> oh, I should back up. Prior to this, the same day, prior to this at the same location, I'd been there before in the previous year. And there was, a, there was one tree that, that like five or six crows lived in. Mm. So I decided I would take try to get photographs of these crows so i would raise i walked over to where this tree was I would, the crows would be out on the branches and i've raised the camera and they would scurry back in the leaves and then they would call you know and then i'd lower the camera and they'd come, come back out and it kind of amused me because i thought well these birds obviously have a pretty good sense of humor <laughs> that was prior to me walking up in the woods so i'm walking up in the woods being pelted with acorns and at first i thought it was because it was fall and it was windy so i started zigzagging and i realized that wherever i went where the acorns went and i thought well you know if i was 
if I was a Sasquatch person, this would be a Sasquatch encounter. And I didn't know what it was. I just walked up to the house, um, this abandoned house, and I had a very strong impression that I was not to go any further, nor was I to go in the house. Hmm. So I thanked my invisible friend for the escort and walked back, got back down to the truck. And my coworker was there and this woman steps. And this was a pretty rugged, pretty rugged piece of ground. Uh, it was pretty steep and a lot of rock. And this woman steps out. I, it was this woman with a humongous dog. And it was the woman from, from the dreams I'd had with the auburn hair. And I've asked my associate, I said, what do you see? And he described seeing a young woman in blue jeans was a dog. But I saw somebody in, with dark hair, Celtic-looking clothing on, uh, leggings, and this monstrous black dog. So I, I, and I, it, it, it rattled me quite a bit. So I came home and I uh, fired off an email to... Uh, I'm sorry, a message to uh, Lindsay Miller, who's a psychic I work with, Armstrong County, PA. And she was the one, she said, you need to look into the Morgan. I think you've run into the Morgan. So I started researching it, you know, and you go online and you type in the Morgan and what comes up is like pictures from a Victoria's Secret catalog. It's like, no. So I, <laughs> I finally was able to find a book called Priestess of the Morgan that, that actually yes. explained it. Yeah. And I, um, reading that, I realized, you know, I'd had these dreams that had horses, they had cattle, they had dogs. They had, you know, I'd had encroders, encounters with crows in real life. And I, I find it's like, Oh, good Lord. I've run into the, I've actually run into the Morgan. So it's kind of a quandary for me at first, having been raised Christian, you know, but the flip side of that is, um, there's a paper by a guy whose name just left me. It's, um, I think the title of it's Appalachian Folk Magic and Protestant Christianity or Folk Magic and Protestant Christianity in Appalachia by a guy at West Virginia State. And I remembered, and I, you know, I was kind of taught when I was a kid that you could believe what the Native Americans said because, you know, that was, that was their, their religious beliefs, but you didn't have to, you know, you could, as a Christian, you could accept that as their truth. But it, as long as you kept things in the quote unquote Christian perspective, I reached out to a couple of people and I found out in hindsight that this, what I thought was a wedding invitation was actually a contract because the mortgage will offer people contracts. And you can turn them down, but you have to have like a really good reason. Because apparently she doesn't appear to just anyone. And she doesn't take kindly to rejection either. No. And I thought, oh, great. I, here, here's something that, you know, has a lot of juice. <laughs> and, um, and I need to like tread lightly here. So I just sat down one day and I said, look, I don't know much about you. I sort of understand what you are. And I can accept and believe what you tell me, but you can't be like at the top of my spiritual list. You know, I mean, you'll be up there fairly high, but you won't be the pinnacle. And it seemed to, it seems to have worked out okay because she's, she's popped up a couple of times since she was on our, she just showed up on the front porch one night, just, just showed up. And I just got a brief glimpse of her. And I think I, I told you um, at the Case Expo this fall that I was out at work again. This would have been uh, the fall of 21. I got done what I needed to do, and I it kept saying, well, you need to go to this place. 
to go to this park because there's somebody that needs to see you. Well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm on work time. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, I have to, I have to justify this because it's going to be out of my way. And well, okay, there's a restroom there and I need to go to the restroom. So I took a short detour, went to the restroom, sat down on this bench and said, okay, I'm here. Who are you? What do you want? And like, bang, she was sitting there on the bench. And that's, and the, the message was try to clear up misconceptions between the uh, Christian community and the paranormal subculture. She's appeared to me in dreams since then. This would have been um, about September. I had agreed to be involved with some, uh, I hate to use terms like spooky season, but Halloween stuff for the dabblers. I guess. I don't know. Ah, gotcha. Yeah. You know, like, uh, haunted activities. And I, I had a lot of reservations about it, partly because they're going to be serving alcohol. And, um, just my opinion, if you're going to be looking into paranormal, you need to be sober. And there's a lot of gadgets and I, uh, I'm not too keen on gadgets as you know. So we discussed it quite a bit and I agreed to do it. And I had a dream where, um, actually two dreams where I was out and about, and I saw the Morgan in the background and she had her back to me. And I thought, Ooh, this, this isn't good. There's something. So when I go to these events, it turned out they uh, weren't what was, what I was told they were. Um, I'd been, I'm not sure if I was misled or if they got caught up in the moment. It seems like it's like people's egos take over. Mm, yeah. And one of the, they had an SLS camera and suppose, and this, it was a haunted location here in, in town. People were using a spirit box to talk to this alleged spirit of a person. And they got something on the SLS camera and everybody's all excited because it was a person. And I looked at it and it was a dog. And I thought, oh, this, no, this is, the, this is not a person you're talking to. And then I thought about that dream with the Morgan. I thought, oh, this is what she's trying to tell me. Just walk away? Yes, yeah, so just just walk away. Yeah, and I, I've noticed that with some groups, you can do your best to advise them, and you can give your opinion based on your own experience. But if they see something that they want to see, they are not able to see anything else. Yeah, and I, uh, so I, you know, I, I got home and I, I thought, well, lesson learned. I'll just not do that again. Anyway, the, the, the chapter in the book where she got into, I, I couldn't figure out why an Iron Age Irish deity would appear to me until I realized, you know, I got into the whole thing about sovereignty and leadership in the paranormal community and exploitation. And that, then it kind of made sense. It seems like when you talk about the Morgan, people were either really all about it or they just, look at you like you're a loon yeah there really is no middle ground with her yeah all or nothing yeah and it's and she's like the fae you know you once you realize they're around and you realize there's like a lot of potential there to you could cause some havoc i can see where people get caught up in it for sure yeah somebody will do something that's really annoying and you think well if this would happen, and then you think, no, we can't go there, you know, <laughs> especially with people who would have received that gift and heartily accepted it in the dream. Correct. That's when things start to get a little hairy. It didn't really make any sense till, till I got that priestess of the Morgan book. And I, that helped quite a bit. And I, um, 
I've looked at some stuff since then, but haven't pursued it yet. So speaking of books, I believe you have a third one in the works, correct? I've got a third one in the works. The working title is Haunted Hills and Hollows 3, Politics and the Paranormal in Greene County, Pennsylvania. But the politics is, uh, as defined in this book, also includes the culture industry and how culture can be used to sway people's opinions. And one good example is the... Uh, is a paranormal entertainment energy, you know, industry. It's all about, okay, you get your gadgets and you go in a place and you get all these readings and then you pack up and go. Right. And, and you haven't really learned anything and, and you don't really know what you've experienced or what ramifications it has for the people that you leave behind. That's, that's a big one for me, especially that you go in there, you stir up all the spirits, and then you leave. Yeah. And then the people who live there are stuck with it. Yeah. So I, I'm going to look into a couple of places. Um, there's been some dog, dog man reports in an area where there had been a, what we call in, in uh, Western civilization as an Indian massacre. It's hard to tell. Um, I've come to the conclusions that the Native Americans just got tired of taking it and got even. Going to look into one of those places, found a really interesting location that sort of sounds fae related. They've got, they've caught objects moving in through the house on surveillance cameras. Oh, wow. And you can have a conversation and leave the room and go back in the room the next morning and there'll be books pertaining to what you're talking about, pulled out, laid out on the floor. So that one's pretty intriguing. Got a really good UFO report from quite a number of, I think I've got like 11 witnesses right now in the western part of the county. And um, one individual I actually know fairly well, it's had a lot of like poltergeist activity throughout and some health issues throughout their life afterward. Hmm. Good luck to see how that ties into some of the stuff Rosemary wrote about. And Keel. Yeah, Keel is remarkable. I, I think he's kind of underappreciated. I had read Operation Trojan Horse and what's the other one? The is it the Eighth Tower? The Eighth Tower, yes. Eighth Tower, and I, I read a review of it. The guy uh, there was a guy land based him because he said he didn't have an understanding of physics. I thought, man, you're you're missing his whole point here to the book. It was also written almost fifty years ago at this point. Yeah. Before we go, where can people find you? The easiest way right now is email, which is hauntedgc at yahoo.com. I'm also on Facebook, either uh, by my name, Kevin Paul, or uh, the books, Haunted Hills and Hollows. The books are available on Amazon. Barnes & Noble has them just about anywhere. I think Walmart has them. This is Postscript Editing Jason again. It's at this point that Kevin and I rambled on for another 30 minutes or so, and then I completely forgot to do a sign-off. So, just to cover all my bases, I have Kevin's contact info in the show notes, as well as links to all of his books. When he has special events in the future, I'll post them on the Esoteric Book Club Facebook group. So until next time, for everyone listening out there, remember, stay weird. Hey everyone, Natalie here from The Pendulum's Path. 
If you need guidance, direction, spiritual connection, or more, then listen up. I have worked as a psychic and a medium for over three years, connecting people from all over the world with their loved ones in spirit, giving them insight and guidance into their current situations, the past healings that need to be worked on, and what it is they need to know today in order to have a better future. It would be my absolute honor if you would visit my website at www.thependulumspath.com. I also offer emailed readings for those with busy schedules too. Also, for you goblins who subscribe to the Esoteric Book Club, I have a special coupon code just for you. Enter the code STAYWEIRD to get $5 off of any order of $25 or more. Hope to see you there. Hi, I'm Jimmy Coe. And I'm Stephen Hawk. And we're the host of the Cosmic Sponge Podcast, where we explore the unknown from UFOs and cryptids to unexplained disappearances and ancient mysteries. If you're looking for strange stories that will keep you on the edge of your seat, jump on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or search for Cosmic Sponge on your favorite listening platform. Head on over to our website at www.cosmicsponge.com to get access to all of our content, including a full list of platforms where you can enjoy the show.